Welcome to Carson Chatter, a podcast focused on Carson City, the people who shape it, and the real estate that defines it. I'm Sina Lloyd, Carson City Library Director, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Garrett Lapier, local real estate agent with Century 21 Jim Wilson Realty. We have another great guest this week for you, along with our weekly segments, Community Connections, and Lapeer's Corner. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. So welcome back. We're going to get into this week's segments with Lapeer's Corner and Community Connections. And Sina, the question I have for you is, where is a good place, if I'm curious about what kind of events are going on in Carson City, uh, any kind of event, family-oriented or, or whatever they may be, where can I find a good list of those events at? Well, there's a couple really great options. Um, my favorite lately has been I Love Carson City. They have a Facebook page, and it's very robust. They look at all of the different activities going on in Carson, and they combine that into a really easy-to-read list that you can then use to determine what you want to do throughout your week. So this week, for instance, uh, the October 14th through 20th, there's actually 19 pages of things to do here in Carson City. 19 pages. So there really is no more excuse to say, there's really nothing to do in Carson because there are a lot of different activities that you can do. I also want to just remind everyone that Nevada Day is coming up and the Nevada Day treasure hunt is going on currently. You can find, again, more information about those at the I Love Carson City Facebook page and on carsonnow.org where they have a breakdown of things to do today for each day of the week. So Garrett, I do have a question for you for Lapeer's Corner as well. So if I own a home and I want to sell that to either downgrade or upgrade, how does that work? Good question. So a lot of our market right now is people doing just that. So they have equity in their house and they're looking to either buy a bigger house um, or downsize and get into something a little bit smaller. And um, the biggest question I get with this is how does that process work? So I have a house to sell and I want to go buy. Um, I don't want to be homeless. How, how, how do I make this work? So the first and most important thing always when you're looking to go buy a place is to get the financing in place. So um, give you an estimate on what your house is worth and what kind of proceeds you'd walk away with with the sale. And then from there, we'll have you talk to a mortgage lender who can dial you in on getting you set up with a 30-year fixed rate mortgage um, or whatever type of mortgage that you'd be looking for. Um, once we have financing in place and we have a good idea of what the property's worth, the most important thing is to put your house on the market and try to find a buyer. And in the meantime, you can, you can start looking at properties and, and try to find the property that you'd like to buy. But you have to have your house on the market uh, because once you find that house that you're interested in, that you want to make an offer on, you, preferably you're in a situation where your house is in escrow in order to go write the offer and have a realistic chance to have the seller accept it. It gets to be a little bit tougher when you're a contingent buyer, when you just say, hey, my house um, is just, just came on the market, but it's not an escrow. Or worse yet, I'm going to list my house in the next week if you, if you accept my offer. Um, preferably, you want to be in escrow. And then you have total control when you're the seller once you get into escrow. So you can say that you need a rent back for 90 days, 60 days, 30 days. Um, you can say that you need a long escrow. You need a 60-day escrow or a 90-day escrow that will allow you to go find a suitable property 
that you would like to buy in order to move out of the place that you're selling. Um, so you have protection as the seller. You're in total control. You have all the power as, as, as um, when we're going to close escrow and, and whether you're going to do a rent back or um, a long escrow, you're in total control of that. And that's the biggest misconception is people think if I put my house on the market and someone wants to come buy it the next day, I have to move in 30 days or 40 days. Um, and that's just not the case. So with these contingencies, we either do rent backs for a short amount of time where you basically become a tenant in your own home, but you have your money in hand to go close escrow on a new house, or we do a longer escrow period and try to close the escrows concurrently. So we'll close the house that you're selling and close the house that you're buying on the same day or within a day of each other. Um, if you are in a position where you're wondering how much equity that you have, uh, you're thinking about moving up or moving down, um, check out sellingcarsoncity.com. I'd be happy to help you answer any questions that you may have. Um, and stay with us. We're going to be back with Sean Keating, who is the head um, building department official for Carson City. And we're going to have a good, good discussion about how the building department works here in Carson, um, what a building permit is, why you need it, um, how much they cost, those kind of things. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are here with Sean Keating uh, from the Carson City uh, Building Department, and we're going to talk with him a little bit about what his department does, a little bit more about himself and what his role there at the department is. So thanks for joining us, Sean. Thanks. Glad to be here. Good, glad to have you. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what got you to this position. Well, how I got here was a very unique role. I, um, uh, when I graduated from high school, I joined the Marine Corps. I was a combat engineer in the Marines, which actually dealt with uh, the building and, 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 and actually facilitated a lot of the facilities for the Marines. Uh, when I retired in 2004, I uh, started a position in one of the rural counties as a building inspector and I worked out there for probably about 10 years as a building inspector in the building inspecting industry uh, where I actually was promoted to the level of a building official for a small rural county. Um, I was out there probably just going on a year uh, when I had a unique opportunity to come here to Carson City. Um, they were missing a building official at that time and, and slid into that spot and, and, and never looked back as, as far as just kept on going forward so that's how I got here. Very cool, very cool. Uh, are you born and raised in Nevada, from Nevada? I am not. I'm, I'm actually from Chicago, Illinois. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a city guy. I, I, when I retired from the Marines, I knew all those places I didn't want to go back to. Gotcha. Um, I vacationed a number of different times out here. Um, liked the area, liked the people, liked the environment, liked the, the grander spaces out here, and, and I said this is where I wanted to be. Wonderful, wonderful. There's, there's plenty of people like yourself who've done the same thing, come out and seen the beauty and said well, this is where I want to be. Cubs fan? Uh, White Sox. Okay. All right. All right. I know it's hard to say during the playoff season here, but uh, it, well, the Cubs beat my Giants, but it, it, I, I would love to see him win the World Series. Yeah. So um, let's get into some nuts and bolts here. So tell us a little bit about what the building department does um, and in its role with development and also redevelopment. The building department functions within the community development system. It is the actual active membership or the action uh, proactive steps to evaluate building construction processes as they actually go from the planning phase to the developmental phase to the construction phase to the final phase and then continuously as the building the life expectancy of the building is go back reoccurrently uh, for all the modifications and improvements to those buildings uh, strictly to look at fire and life safety issues 
There, the code has the code has no number of different elements in it, but the codes, the building and safety department was devised to increase the fire and life safety elements within the building or a structure that somebody might occupy. Gotcha. And, and that's really the main role for, for the building department is, is to make sure um, health and safety issues, that the building is done correctly. Health and safety issues, but as, as, as our society has been kind of progressively changing, um, in, in years past the building department role or the building functions have changed a little bit with the introduction of accessibility guidelines, uh, conservation measures through uh, construction practices, different elements that we've looked at and we said, hey, wait a minute, these things fall under the building and safety element and we slid them under there so that it's one process as a whole. Gotcha. So you've been dealing with some green type projects and, and, and builders trying to be a little more green with you know maybe water usage or energy usage? Exactly. In fact, the, the the, the new codes, which have recently only been around, probably the energy conservation codes, have only been around realistically last five five to ten years wow. is when they started. But the, the realization came up as our resources are limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's no excess uh, 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 resources out there available. So conservation became a key to actually as one step is helping a lot of the fuel consumption or the uh, cost of a building itself. So, gotcha. So that's really the driving factor. When you're talking about conservation, you're trying to reduce the maintenance costs of the annual or month-to-month costs of that facility. No different than as if you had a car and you wanted to buy a, a car that had high gas mileage. You, you're building now. You can take that consideration for the facilities that you occupy as well. Got it. That's a good analogy. So, what are the what are some of the biggest challenges that you guys face as a building department on a daily basis, weekly basis? Well, the first first thing let me talk about when I came here just over just under two years ago, right. um, the, there was misperceptions out there about what the role of the building and safety department is. Um, first, let me say the most misunderstood topic I had was energy conservation code. Um, there was there was this ideal that. Uh, big government was trying to get involved and tell people how to manage their affairs when it came to conservation. That's not what it tried to do. Um, I tried to reach out a number of times and talk to associations and groups about this because the perception is that it's something that's telling me what to do. It's not designed to that. What it's trying to do is designed for cost cutting and cost savings and help everybody as a, whole, as a holistic approach, meaning that from the franchise agreements we have with the power and, and gas companies, that we, we minimize some of the, the output that we, we demands that we have from them. And the same thing is water. We look at water that is a, a, a strict resource or a very finite resource here in Nevada. We look at those things and we how to mitigate some of those things through the construction process. Um, so that was one of the big misperceptions out there. I it dealt with that a lot of times individually one-on-one trying to explain what both the Fed federal and the state levels were trying to do. And I think once once you sat down and looked at what the intent was, the misperception was off the board and it was pretty much explained to people. Right. The other misperception I, I had out here uh, when I first got here was the International Wild Land Urban Face Code. It's a code that this week we, we see the results of it because of the fires that we've had in the last week. Yeah. Um, through the construction practices, because of the high risk that's inherently carried within those areas, we have to look at construction means and practices to p- provide the safe environment of those homes. Now, that's not never going to say that that home won't burn, but we're trying to mitigate the risk. We're might, trying to mitigate the potential of catching on fire, which little things, as the code, the Wildland Urban Face Code talks about, 
Little things that might cost pennies up front will save you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on the back end. Gotcha. It, it, what a timely topic. I mean, you're exactly right. Um, I know that there's certain areas on the south end of town, um, um, just specifically, I know that one, um, that uh, no matter what you build, you've got to have a fire sprinkler system in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and while it's easy to look at that as, as, as a pain and another obstacle, um, when you start seeing those areas burn, you go, man, thank goodness that that was in place. And your heart and your, and your whole entire life's invested in that home. Mm-hmm. And to sit there to think, if I would have just built it a little bit different, I would have lasted through that that event exactly well, and the market usually catches up. So, you know, when they first had these fire sprinkler systems, I know they were somewhere around, you know, five thousand or excuse me, fifty thousand dollars for a twenty-five hundred square foot house. Now, now the cost is significantly less than that you know, to put these systems in, and the market catches up to that and helps with the economics of it. It would, and one of the points that we actually did is, did with that is we realized that the the means to the counter a lot of that is passive means of construction meaning that if we built the house a little bit different, it would save that cost. Where a sprinkler system is not necessarily passive, it has to be maintained all all the time, year round. So what we did is within the code system, we amended that out for six more years. So in some of those areas, as long as we have proper water resources and we have water supply and flow rate in those areas for the fire suppression and the fire department, they actually battle those things. Some of those things can be eliminated, which makes the end user happy, Mm -hmm. happier. But then we really look back at the passive means of uh, construction, like the type of wall construction, sealing off soffits and vents, uh, what kind of material they're going to be using on the roof. Those little things that really up front really, really pay dividends in the the long run. Makes sense. Um, So let's talk about some of the good stuff. What are are the exciting things that are going on in the building department and things that have, you know, get you you out of bed and get, get you excited every morning? Number one thing I like is that the building and safety department here under community development, we far have, have gone a far way in a short amount of time. Over, just over two years ago, um, what we've started to do is increase the number of permits that we have. We also have increased the, number, uh, the awareness of having building permits and what they're for. A lot of times people would have the perception that a building permit is kind of infringing upon their ability to their rights within a house. And again, we, we emphasize it's the safety element. A number of times we're building a partnership with the, with the professionals in the area to develop a, a cooperative effort to educate people why we're doing this. It's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but it's a good thing. It's an educational thing. So, um, so what I mean by that is we have all these different projects going on, and, and those are great things because I really like those big projects coming in the, in the Carson City. But on the bottom half where we have private owners that have I want to build myself a garage. I want to build myself a deck. I think the permit center within the last two years has provided people with the information to move forward on those things where people are educated and informed about how to get this process through, not just through the permit center, but in a safe manner that they can rely on for the future. And, and I, I see that, I don't want to say daily, but certainly weekly in my business. Um, someone calls me and wants to sell their house or I'm showing property to buyers and they're looking at different houses and you see maybe a room that was added on or a garage shop in the back. Um, and a lot of times people think, oh, well, no big deal. It looks like they did a good job. Um, and, and can you explain a little bit about why it's so important that people, when they add a sunroom or they add a shop or they add square footage to their house, that they do it the 
the proper way and get it uh, get a building permit done with it. Um, and then when you get done talking about why that's so important, we'll talk about some of the advantages from the real estate standpoint of doing it that way. Sure. Let me, before I discuss why the advantages, let me talk about a process that we introduced about a year, year and a half ago. Great. We call it the as-built process. In most municipalities where you go out there, you'll find that if I've ever bought something that fell into the category you, dis- you, you discussed about a room that wasn't permitted or bathroom that wasn't permitted, I developed this process in place where the homeowner can come in, obviously we have to inspect it for fire and life safety. That's the issue, the whole point of, about it. What we did is the as-built process allows a professional design specialist from Nevada, re- registered design specialist in Nevada, look at the work that was unpermitted and we will work with the people trying to figure out how we get this work accepted and entered into the role safely so that the, the work is not just put in the assessor's uh, system or the accountability of the city, but also that it meets that, quanti- that quality of safe for fire and life safety. Um, and going back on it, it's very important that you do, you, you do get things permitted. A lot of people are under the impression that I don't need a permit for that. I always tell them, call down to the permit center, let's ask. We have probably about 11 items that are exempted from getting a permit, for example, like sheds out in the backyard, 120 square feet or less. We have some interior uh, finishes that are not are exempted from permit. For the most part, a lot of things are permitted. And it's to really increase the value, increase your, your, your net worth of that home because of the fact that it was inspected and it meets those minimum standards of the codes. And remember, codes are just minimum standards. We want to be above that, that minimum standard. So I, I always tell people all the time, give me a call. Let's find out what it is. There might be some information that you're not aware of about easements or about different things within the parcel that might have, have created a, a problem in the past and bring you aware of those things. Um, a lot of times there's a psychological edge of calling government and asking them questions like that. I always say, talk, when I talk to people, I don't ask them their name and their address and where they're from. I'd rather be upfront with the problem. Here we have, here's what we have. Here's the road to resolve that issue. But it's, it's always important because of the fact that very few people can outright buy a home by themselves today. There's always a, a, a lender or there's some insurance that are in, in that party that lies with that home and we want to protect everybody but most of all we want to protect the occupants within that home so that someday we don't have to come there for a fire because something was put in wrong or there was an accident or a collapse something that is outrageous that we don't want to happen and that's the importance of getting a permit a building permit for a project and, and, and I'm glad you brought up the as-built program because that that's a big misconception. People think that, okay, I, I put the shop up and, and added two-car garage along with the shop in the back of my house, but if I call the city, they're going to come out here and they're going to penalize me or they're going to make me tear it down, and that's simply not the case. The city wants to work with you to make sure that you know the minimum building standards are met. No one's going to make you tear anything down. You know, they're not going to do, not, not do all that. They want to work with you to help you get it right and make sure it's 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 uh, um, it's well built and that it's safe for everyone to be in there um, and I will say over the last couple years um, the staff uh, the customer service level at the building department um, um, has been tremendous you guys have done a great job I know I come in there with sometimes silly questions sometimes tough questions and and no matter what kind of question I come to you guys with you guys are always more than, more than willing to help out with that um, and, and, and I really do appreciate that so I want to talk a little bit about that. I, I get this question sometimes. So Bob and Sue, they want to go buy a vacant lot. 
and they want to have a house built for them. Uh, and let's say in this instance, they're going to use a general contractor. How does that process work with you guys, the building department? It, it, it is somewhat of a, a long and, and a hard process. I, I, I only say that because a lot of people have the, the idea when they, you know, you see a lot of programs out there, DIY, do it yourself. It looks extremely easy. Um, a lot of times you don't see all those things that go behind that whole production to get that thing going along. So it is, it is just not a simple process, but let me try to explain it to you in a nutshell. When you, when you as a owner that has a, a, a blanket lot and you're trying to build and you're, you got your dream home that you want to put on there, obviously you have a professional involved in it for the design aspect. This professional is going to be the individual that knows what the minimum standards are, the code. He's building above it. He's actually tweaking it. He's, he's redefining it based off of your dreams, your goals of what you want for this home. And by doing that, he's giving you what you want. In the same time, we're looking at the fire and life safety standards for that home. When you supply us those documents, we call them construction documents. A lot of people used to call them blueprints years ago. You're going to supply us some construction documents that shows that. And a lot of times they're signed by registered design professionals. In Nevada, we have a state that, an element that we call design build where contractors can come in and do it themselves. They can sign it as well. And we also have what they call the owner builder's exemption because there's a lot of people out there probably possess the, the expertise to actually build their house. Right. The question is designing of it would be another means understanding the codes. Although I like to work with people like you talked about at the counter, okay. the, a lot of times I have to remind them, I'm an inspector and we're inspectors, we're not instructors. So we try to lead you down the path, but there's a lot of variables connected with the construction process in a home. So once we get those construction documents that we were talking about with the site plan, we're checking strictly for code compliance. We're checking co code compliance for the building codes, which in this case would fall under the International Residential Code. And we're also checking for the municipal code for Title 18 for variances or setback requirements or those things that, that go along with that lot that that person may or may not be aware of to make sure it's all understood and that everything's in accordance. Once we issue once we review those documents, we'll issue a building permit based off of those approved set of documents with a list of series of inspections that the owner or contractor would have to get. Those are inspections at different, different levels or different points of the building process so that those items can be inspected. And when all those things are checked off and they're finaled, which is a very, uh, sometimes it's a six, nine, 12 months, sometimes longer than that process when you build a home, but there's a lot of interaction between hey, this didn't look right. It looked right on paper, but in real world, it didn't look like this. We need to change this. We need to revise that. And that's pretty common in the construction industry that, you know, there's a revision or two that goes along with that uh, because when you really look at it in, in the real world, it just didn't, it didn't match up to what you thought it was. Uh, when those inspections are done, then you'll be issued what we call a certificate of occupancy. A final will become before that where the work has all been final, being the plumbing, mechanical, electrical, and the structural elements of that with the grading, and then we'll issue what we call certificate, certificate of occupancy. That's when the owner actually can move in, and, and that's where we substantiate that all the work has been done, fulfillment of those construction documents. Gotcha. So it's a process where the building department and the property owner are going to be in each other's lives for a little while. We will, and, and, and that's what building inspectors do. Uh, we have a number of different types of inspectors throughout the city. We have road inspectors. We have, uh, we have structural inspectors. We have special inspectors. We have building inspectors. We have energy conservation inspectors. We have all these different inspectors that work within that community. And what they wind up doing is 
is, is, is the way I like to see it here in Carson City. It's informing and educating them about the process. It's not a matter of direction and, and dictating if that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And your guys' approach has been good. So I'll, I'll ask you our last question. And we ask this question to everybody. If there was no limitations, what would be um, your big, hairy, audacious goal for Carson City? What would you like to see? I'd like to see no fires, no loss of life, and no loss of property. The building division is a very unsung hero within this whole element. And I'm not taking anything away from the fire district. They're, they're very good at what they do. Correct. But if we do really well at we do, then there will be no loss of life, no loss of injury in all those homes that were built within the code. And if you were asking me my one goal, if, if I could make anything happen, that's how I would do it. And it's a, it, it's a hard, but it's an achievable goal. Right. I like it. That's a good goal to have. Yes. Oh, yeah, and, and, and again, especially a timely thing with that. Oh, I want to remind people um, to go down to the building department. If you have a, an addition that maybe you did or the previous owner did and you're not sure uh, whether that's you know part of your square footage um, um, or, or whether it was done correctly, go ask the questions. The city is here to help you um, get things to where they need to be. Maybe they are where they need to be and you, do, and you don't know. But yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. People sometimes get a little weary about, about reaching out and asking those questions. Um, and from a, from, a real, from a real world real estate standpoint, um, if you call me up and say, I have 1,500 square feet, but I have an additional 300 square feet in the sunroom that is unpermitted, um, we can't add that to the value of your home. It really holds no value to your home uh, because a buyer, like Sean said earlier, is probably going to get a loan. And that loan, uh, loan company is going to send an appraiser out, and the appraiser cannot, will not use a square footage that is not permitted, not part of the assessor's tax roll, um, for the value of the property. So, um, even if you spent fifty thousand on it and it looks beautiful and wonderful, you literally have zero market value if it's not permitted. So, it, it is definitely worth it to go through and, and get that permitting process done. Oh, well, Sean, want to thank you again for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate you. Like being here. You betcha. Yeah. Um, be, we'll be back next week, or excuse me, two weeks from now with another new episode. Uh, and Cena will be back with us as well. She just had a little scheduling conflict, so couldn't join us for the interview today. Uh, but thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. You can find our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes by simply searching Carson Chatter Podcast. When you find it, Please leave, a re- please leave us a review. That review helps other people find our podcast easier. You can also engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Carson Chatter Podcast or email us at carsonchatterpodcast at gmail.com. See you again soon, and please tell a friend about the podcast. Mm-hmm.